now right to your host of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. episode of Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our very best at helping you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. Hello there, I am Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me across Zoom once again is my co-host Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I am Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it is important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right, and we have a new month. It's a new month. Hello, August. So... Tonight, we are excited to start a new month uh, talking about flowering, small flowering trees. And uh, we're excited. We're talking about, that's what we're talking about today. We've got different varieties, right, the rest of the month. But tonight, we are talking about standard follow, uh, flowering trees. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. There's a, quite a variety. I use them often in designs. Uh, and uh, what else are we talking about, Matt? That's right. Yeah. So, this month kicks off our flowering trees month. So as you said, we're going to talk about our standard flowering trees. So for those of you who might standard, what does that mean? It's those mm-hmm. lovely uh, small flowering trees like a hydrangea standard. Uh, it's basically that shrub that has been grafted or shaped into a small stick with that nice ball on uh, top. So we'll take a look at those. And then as we move through the month, uh, we're going to talk about smaller flowering trees such as crab apples and Uh, medium-sized flowering trees in your yard, and that's next week. Uh, And then we're going to talk about flowering dogwoods, the big, big flowering trees, uh, those big skyscrapers that we all know and love. Uh, And then we're going to talk your questions, our answers, all about uh, flowering trees and or uh, lawns and whatever you'd like to round out the end of the month. Excellent. Excellent. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think flowering trees have such an important part in the garden because they are standard trees. Sorry, flowering trees do too, but standard trees, because I think they just add a different texture, different variety. Um, They're there. I mean, hydrangeas, sometimes I think the, the, the hydrangea standards kind of get lost in that they look so similar to like the big hydrangeas. But there's a lot of different ones, some that are weeping and interesting, like I think like the weeping carragana or weeping pea shrub. Um, you know, the, some of the some of the crab apples uh, are, are grafted and are standard shrubs and aren't as big as their other uh, cousins of, uh, of crab apples. Um, uh, flowering lilacs, of course, and more and more shrubs. You mentioned a whole bunch, I think, in our chat, either it was at the end of last week or maybe in one of our offline conversations. I'm like, wow, I didn't know all those shrubs were grafted on standards and how come I don't use them? So, so yeah, so that, you know, just as I'm surprised and I'm kind of a, sometimes can be a little bit in a funk of always using the same ones. Um, hopefully we'll introduce you to some new ones as well. I want to thank everybody for last, the last month that we finished July and I feel like it was a great month, wasn't it, Matt? We covered lots of really great shrubs from hydrangeas, episodes one and two, to nine barks, to wajillias. So I think we covered a lot of ground last last month, and uh, we're, we closed out July with a bang. That's right. 
Uh, so definitely take a look at your favorite podcast provider to find all those wonderful episodes uh, that we talked about, all those flowering shrubs. And you know what? Uh, why don't we start out tonight as we look at uh, those small flowering trees with an echo of all of last month's shrubs. Uh, we'll, why don't we start with hydrangeas and then we'll go uh, nine barks and wajelia standards. Ooh, uh, what a good then, idea. Right? <laughs> Did you just make that up, or is that the show notes that I can't certainly currently access? <laughs> I just made that up because I don't okay. have it down. Okay, that's good. Well, that's a good idea, though, because hydrangea standards are, um, you know, I think one of the more popular ones, and they've actually been challenging to find this year. They have been. They have been. Mm-hmm. We have found, um, even just with a lot of the standard trees in general, there have been a lot of delays getting them. Uh, and then some of this year's crop with demand from last year, a lot of growers or wholesalers have been bumping up some of the crop as well from this year into last year's crop. Uh, so there are some gaps and then there are some issues uh, as well. But uh, yeah, so take a look. Keep checking in. Um, you know, things are becoming available. I know at our garden center, we've just gotten in uh, some of the hydrangea standards and some of the lilac standards. Uh, and again, just for our listeners who maybe don't know or aren't familiar with what what's a standard, what are they talking about? That's mm-hmm. that grafted small shrub into a small flowering tree form. Uh, that's the that industry term is the standard. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you hear us say standard, that's what we're talking about. So we've got the hydrangea standards. Um, and we've got our hydrangea standards have been and again have arrived back in. So if you're a fan of hydrangea and perhaps you need like a small tree, a little bit of height, maybe a little bit of height bigger than, you know, a normal hydrangea might give you. Uh, or you like planting some things or you just need that kind of tree shape to uh, break up your garden bed or add a little bit of visual depth and interest. Uh, take a look at your hydrangea standards. So, Joanne, you were talking, um, you know, and, and I didn't really notice it happen. Um, and then you were talking to um, one of our industry colleagues as well uh, about the grafting of the hydrangea standard. So for the longest time, a lot of them were grafted. So um, grafting, we're, we're taking a either a bud or a stem and we're marrying it to uh, a, another tree of a compatible species. So we train a trunk or a rootstock and then we're grafting either tea budding or we're um, you know, we're putting in uh, some different, I won't go into all the different grafting techniques, uh, but we're marrying those two tissues to create a different shrub. Uh, and for example, bobo right now, we're receiving bobo hydrangea standards, and they are still grafted uh, because we end up getting a three or a five foot uh, rootstock with a, a trunk. And then we're having the bobo grafted onto the top of that uh, that tr- trunk, which is usually either the same species, a hydrangea, or something else that's a little bit more compatible. And then it's going to grow from there up in its height and width. So bobo being a small one, which is only three tall, uh, three feet tall and about four feet wide, we are still seeing it grafted because if it was three feet tall and just trained that way, we've run out of hydrangea. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's one of the ones that have, have been or is still being grafted at the moment. But you are saying a lot of the bigger hydrangeas have been trained uh, to be that much taller or they're training them up. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that either, but it has become, I guess you could see that with something like limelights or phantoms or quick fires that naturally, you know, in a couple of years can get to be six, five or six feet tall so that the growers were actually pruning them. And, and it looks still like a flowering grafted tree, but really it, it isn't grafted anymore. 
Um, sometimes it does, like, it, I think it, it made it faster for them to, to bring them to us, uh, the growers. Um, the grafted ones did take a, long, a little bit longer, one, for the graft to kind of take, and then for them to root in the pot so that they could be, so some of them, you know, the girls will say to me, you know, they're potted, but they're just not ready to sell yet. They're ready, not, they're not ready in the pot. And uh, so that was always, you know, a little bit of an issue. So I think they started bypassing that for some of the bigger hydrangeas. Um, but I guess with, yeah, like you said, the dwarf ones, you know, there's no choice but to graft them. And, and I think, you know, I would think the most commonly known grafted tree, I know we're talking about hydrangeas, but I think everybody's familiar with, um, oh my gosh, I read it in my head. Oh my goodness. Mulberry bush, mulberry bush, <laughs> mulberry, right? Whether it's a fruiting one or non-fruiting one, you know, everybody's familiar with the fact that that mulberry bush is grafted onto a stem, you know, and all the trouble that kind of can fall with that. Like one where the graft looks kind of ugly and misshapen, the suckers, because sometimes the, the, the tree tries to go back to being a bush and it tries to bypass the, the graft and at the ground, you know, you'll find, you know, bushes come out of that. Um, or the leaves change. Like, so it's a different leaf, like in the weeping part of the mulberry bush, it's the, you know, it's a certain leaf and then other areas, sections of it that are trying to bypass the, the, the graft, you know, it's a different kind of leaf. So that, I think those trees have been, you know, around for a while. So I think it's doing it with hydrangeas has been much more successful, right? I don't find they, that they've suckered. I don't find that they're trying to bypass. They're not like aggressively trying to bypass the graft. Have you seen any issues there? No, especially with the hydrangea, you're dead on. Um, yeah, with the hydrangeas, I have not seen any of any uh, issues really. There's no suckering. Uh, there's no there's no you know issues with the graft because sometimes the graft isn't sanitary, so you get those yeah those cankers or those fungus growths or or they're mm -hmm. just misshapen just because you can see the graft right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I haven't found that with any any really of the of the newer hydrangeas like the, oh, the just the trained ones. Yeah. yeah, and I rarely see it with a grafted one either. Like I've never yeah, seen yeah. Go, 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 yeah. go weird. What do you think they grafted to? Like you know, with that. Yeah, so I don't know. I I I think hydrangeas they train another hydrangea stem for like, and then mm -hmm. for example, going back to the mulberry, it's just the upright mulberry shrub, so that it's you know, and so if you look at the graft, the suckers, they're mulberry suckers that are coming up and going straight out because it's just easy to train that single stem and then harden it off and then graft onto that rootstock where the rootstock will still live. And then that similar species or that same material will go. Mm -hmm. Apples and, and things, for example, too, they're, they have specific apple rootstocks that they'll graft all of those apple cultivars onto, and then you'll get just the hardier rootstocks and things okay. like that. Yeah. And then the other thing with the grafting too is, and it's true more about like apples and your roses and uh, whatnot, mm -hmm. But uh, the grass will sometimes and are often will will share some of those characteristics with the the shrub that they're grafted onto. So if you have a rootstock that is a little bit more drought tolerant, you'll find that that cultivar gains a little bit of drought tolerance uh, with it. So you can pass on some of those secondary characteristics to from the rootstock to uh, the top graft part, which is technically called the scion. Uh, so the scion will gain. The, the characteristics or share some of those characteristics uh, of the uh, rootstock when they're married okay. together. 
Excellent. Excellent. So, I mean, not all hydrangea, because hydrangeas, as we talked about last month with our two episodes that were jam-packed full of uh, hydrangeas, not all hydrangea varieties that are shrub form are available as um, grafted. For the longest time, limelight, like, well, limelight, I mean, the the original, um, I think, PG, right? That was a popular one. And then limelight... Um, and then you went to Phantom and Quick Fire. Some of the bigger, faster growing ones were definitely available as standards. And yeah. I think it's really just last year that I started seeing, you know, Bobo and, and Little Lamb, like some of those varieties as, uh, as grafted ones. I've never seen, like, I don't think you can do that with the macrophilia, right? Have you seen any macrophilia, macrophilia yeah. ones? So going to our talk uh, last month, the first two uh, weeks in July, uh, we went over the four main species, the four or five main species of hydrangeas that we're going to find in our garden. And and you're correct. When we get down into, as far as standard trees goes, paniculata is pretty much corn, mm. that entire standard tree market. So okay. you're only ever going to see uh, the panicle hydrangeas or hydrangea paniculata. Uh, and then it's just their, their you know, cultivar name uh, in with that as the tree form. So yeah, like you said, Bobo is just the last couple of years. Uh, Little Lamb is just the last couple of years. Uh, the new Candelabra, uh, Lava oh. Lamp Candelabra is now out okay. as a standard. Uh, and then, yeah, you get those classic ones. So yeah. 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 Okay. That's good. Yeah. They seem to be woodier, right? They tend to be good or good growers. Gooder. <laughs> Gooder. They're gooder guys, um, uh, you know, uh, and there's other features. It'd be, wouldn't it be great to have um, oak leaf hydrangea standards mm. and things like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and I think uh, like I had mentioned at the top of the show, they have a place in a lot of gardens, you know, they make, they can make a nice focal point tree. They can be privacy. They can be, you know what I mean? And, and I love that you can um, plant something at the base, you know, whether it's a hedge or whether it's, um, I have, uh, um, you know, ground cover or something low and creeping, like my favorite, like Roseanne geranium, and then have the stem and then have the hydrangeas above. I love they're just like the other hydrangeas in that you don't need to prune them in the fall. So the, the hydrangeas dry on, on the shrub and you can leave them. So there's winter interest and they look, you know, they look nice. Um, they, again, I mentioned privacy. So something, if you want something that's a little higher between you and your neighbors, some of them like front yards that have small front yards and, you know, it's a nice little tree. You don't want a massive tree that's going to block you and screen you from your neighbor, but it's, you know, they're going to get six feet tall, seven feet tall head. Um, so it's a nice controllable size tree. So, uh, so I think there's also some really good practical uses um, as well as giving you that variety of everything, you know, is not all the same height or, you know, shrubs, uh, um, Oh my gosh, what's the word? Go from, you know, being three foot, four foot, five foot, six foot, tri- you know what I mean? All on the garden, whereas, you know, something that is a different shape and a different size. So you get that nice yeah. rotation and stuff. Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't even know what that word, you know what I was trying to say. So, uh, yeah. so that's good. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I know I'm pitching, you know, probably pitching to the choir about the benefits, but, uh, you know, and hydrangea standards are, are a good choice and a very popular one. Um, but we are going to talk about other ones. So, yeah. So, Matt, we've got a few questions. Yeah. So, um, I think just as we were racing to get to the show on our busy 
kick off to August. Uh, we did miss uh, just saying, you know, if you do have some questions, we love to hear from all of our guests. Uh, so just as we dive into a couple, if you have a question about some of your standard flowering trees or your uh, standards out in your garden, you can write us here uh, on, at Reality Radio 101. And the email address here is instudio101 at gmail.com. If you have any questions or issues, we also uh, can receive pictures. You can send us some pictures to that email address as well. Ron's going to start our kickoff, our uh, question uh, for the evening with a question about uh, cherry blossoms. And Ron says, hello tonight. Hello tonight. Uh, I'm not sure if this question to you is, uh, or question to you is relevant to this evening's topic. Can we grow and uh, can they do a good job here in the GTA? Cherry blossoms. Thank you for the question. And thank you, Ron, for the question. Uh, but yes, you can definitely uh, get and grow some of the um, cherry blossom trees here. Uh, we are very popular at our garden center, especially as they start to bloom uh, in that early spring. Uh, one of the main ones that we see is the Kwanzan cherry tree growing up to uh, about 30 to 33 feet tall and 13 to 15 feet wide, very upright vase shape, uh, double uh, medium dark cherry blossoms, just profusely covering uh, the tree in the early spring. Uh, so that one's probably the more most popular. Main, yeah, it's big though. Like, yeah, not everybody has but, room for that. Yeah. Right. And, and that's definitely one of those, you know, those, those medium to larger size flowering trees that we're definitely going to explore more as we proceed through the month of August. But yeah, yes. you can, you can definitely uh, grow those here. I'm going to say off the top of my head, if I'm remembering correctly, Ron, yeah, there's zone four to nine ish. Mm -hmm. uh, I might be off there, but yeah. And you can get other ones. There's like Akebono. Uh, which is similar in shape and size, but not as upright in base shape. But she's got the single uh, pale pink to white flowers on her. And there are so many beautiful cherry blossom trees out there. And we literally see such a small offering of them. Uh, so definitely, if you're looking raw, explore all those cultivars. There are some amazing ones out there for sure. Mm -hmm. And as an aside, I'm just going to say, Ron, we don't all have that much room for that kind of a tree. But there is a, one of my new favorite shrubs. And it's a Yuki cherry dutsia. So three feet by three feet. So it's certainly not a tree, but it's a shrub. And the pink flowers look very oh. much like a cherry tree. They bloom pretty much the month of June. Um, and there is a, it's a really nice compact plant. And for bonus, the leaves in was my favorite one shrub does two things. Uh, the leaves in, on the shrub turn uh, red in the fall. So if you know, for because not everybody's going to have room for a, ch a cherry tree, sadly. So if there's anybody out there that loves that blossom, loves that little flower. Um, that is, you know, total segue. And maybe we'll talk Dutzias next month, next year, Matt, when we talk about shrubs, because <laughs> uh, I'd like to learn more about them myself. I, this was a new one for me. And uh, I've been using it in a lot of gardens. And, I, and I've been really happy. And I did plant one finally in my own garden. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing that grow next year. So yeah, so that's just an aside note. Um, so uh, Ron, Yuki Cherry Dutzia, D-E-U-T-Z-I-A. I yep. like that. Okay, 
You yes. got it right. Yeah, right. On. I got it right. I got it right. Don't and then we have another question from John. Since we mentioned mulberries, John, this is a great question. Uh, he says, hello, Joanne and Matthew. Can you eat mulberries or use them in recipes? Oh, my goodness, John. They are so yummy. You just have to fight the birds for them. <laughs> I love visiting a site, uh, a homeowner that has a ripe tree and you get to stand there and like eat the mulberry bush mulberries. So they are very good. They are messy. Your yard will be full of purple poop. Um, but, um, but uh, yes, you could use them and you could make them into jam or make them into pie or, but you just have to fight the birds for them. Right, Matt? That's, that's exactly why I, I laughed because you, good luck beating the robins to them. When you yeah. see the robins going into your tree, you're probably about a week and a half late. <laughs> they're in there getting them the second they are ripe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, but I mean, and there are some, yeah, sometimes people don't realize when they buy a new house, they they don't know that they have a fruiting one because, you know, they're familiar, they're not familiar with them that are fruiting, right? Because you never know whether you have a fruiting one or not, but uh, it can surprise you all of a sudden. Um, but they are, they are delicious. And that's an excellent point as well. If you're interested in in the weeping mulberry, you know they're 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 grafted as well. That they're that very big umbrella tree, usually ten by ten. You'll see on people's yards, uh, but there is a and I've seen them smaller and bigger, and people can prove okay. them. Um, I always used to say fifteen by fifteen, but um, they come in a fruitless variety, like you said. There's a fruitless cultivar and a non fruiting cultivar so if the birds are a concern or the mess is a concern maybe you're sharing a spot with your neighbor definitely take a look for the fruiting and the non-fruiting mm -hmm. yeah 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 for sure for sure and james is saying since we are home on holiday yes it's a holiday here in uh, canada we're on our deck with six folks amateur green thumbs listening to your show with a cold beer grow on in lindsay ontario well hello there john and you're Fam, friends and family, thank you very much for listening and spending your Monday evening uh, now that the sun is shining and the blue skies uh, here with us. We really, really appreciate it, don't we, Matt? We do indeed. Thank you. Yeah, it's a beautiful evening out there. Um, yeah, we're hoping you enjoy the show. Um, as we were talking about kind of um, uh, the cherry blossom trees, it I kind of had an aha moment because I was making my list of flowering uh, standards and one that's been really hard to get recently, uh, which reminded me was uh, the flowering almond tree, mm. uh, which has those little tiny rows, double mm -hmm. pink rows like flowers. They cover their stems. There is a dwarf variety, but you'll see the standard or the normal shrub get about 10 feet by 10 feet to 12 feet by 12 feet. Uh, so she's a big one, but there is a dwarf one. I haven't seen that one. Um, often on the standard, but uh, yeah, so that's mm. another one. Uh, I think Ron, you might want to take a look for as well. Yeah, hard to find though. They used Super to be more common, I think, you know, 20 years ago when I started and they've been very, very hard to find. Uh, uh, definitely. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. We've been having fewer and fewer each year in the mm -hmm. garden center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So aside, so if we're going to follow along with your, um, your recipe for uh, recipe. I, for for flowering trees. So we talked about the hydrangea ones. Um, I think it's important to know. I mean, you could shape your large hydrangeas into a standard if you wanted to, but I think it's nice to know 
that um, you know that they are that they are available. Um, when you first plant them, I think many do benefit from the uh, stake the first year. Yes. You know, you all see you will see that neighborhood tree that's like a beautiful tree, but it's at an angle, and you know, there's always one in a neighborhood where it's kind of wobbled and, it, and it's kind of been, so. There's once they get established, it's much harder to correct. So, and I yeah. do mean a real stake, not the little piece of bamboo and tape that comes with it. You know, like it. You know, especially uh, maybe less so if you are planting it early in the season, it doesn't have a really big head on it. But now that we're planting them and buying them and they actually may have already started flowering and have a much, um, much bigger top to them, I think they really definitely um, should have uh, a a good stake for the first year or so. Don't you? Yeah, I agree. I have some um, thin vanilla strawberries. The, The trunk is very thin. Uh, but they're full of bloom now, and literally every morning I come in, and they're they look like they've literally melted, like that clock picture. They've just melted right over, and mm-hmm. so we have to stake them and and prop them up. Yeah, the bamboo against that trunk helps those shade trees, and those trees grow taller quicker. But it doesn't give them that thickness in that support. It doesn't give them that trunk flare that holds them upright mm-hmm. or that thickness. So yeah, okay. definitely a true stake. Yes. Do it. Outside of the planting hole in undisturbed ground. Okay. Who haven't seen before. <laughs> so a uh, question for you, because va- vanilla strawberries have been very hard for this designer to find. Uh, are those ones grafted or are they, have they been trained? I'm wondering <laughs> if they held back the stock. That's why we can't find them as a shrub. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? The ones that I have don't look like they're grafted. They look uh-huh. like they're, they've been trained. Uh, and then just because we're in the same area, I have some nice seven gallon uh, strawberries or vanilla strawberries for you as Do well. You know. standard. Yeah. 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 All those gardens have been installed and I've had to substitute something else. So, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, that has been a lot of fun, not fun. Um, and some of the standards too, it's great that you've got some seven foot ones, but I know early in the season when we were having a hard time finding them, we were finding these little four foot ones and it was like, well, I want something bigger. And then I know I designed a garden where I wanted three different sizes of, and I couldn't find a small one. So, oh. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things you don't know what we go through everybody like you just, you know, but, uh, but yes, that's what I mean. They can really be a, a, a cute little feature in a garden. So, uh, so I had fun designing this really unique garden where I want, they had an existing hydrangea standard. And then I just kind of wanted to, um, to, uh, to create uh, a little grouping, but all have them few different sizes and different varieties. So I ultimately managed to achieve that, but uh, it was way harder than it should have been. Um, but I, you know, I think I just need to remember that, that early in the season, availability is lower and uh, really kind of modify my expectations a little bit. So, and therefore my client's expectations, right? <laughs> so, uh, but it's hard, you know, or when you've done a design in the fall and then you're putting it in in the spring, right? So, yes. yeah, yeah. What can you do? What can um, you do? What can oh. you do? What you can you do? <laughs> yes. What can we do? But we digress as we dive into our, our small flowering trees. That's right. Standard um, trees. Our, yeah, small flowering or standard trees. Um, so one of the other ones we talked about last month as shrubs were nine barks. So mm-hmm. these were North American natives, um, beautiful exfoliating bark into cinnamons, reds, and browns. And that's where they get their nine bark uh, name from. You'll see these guys as grafted. And I've seen a couple um, just having now taking a look, hearing what have Joanna said to me 
Uh, some of them were not grafted, uh, but typically these ones are grafted, and they also are grafted to a nine bark uh, rootstock. So you get that nice three to five foot stock, depending on the supplier or the grower, that also exfoliates. So you're getting this beautiful exfoliating bark up the entirety of the stem, and then you're going to get a, a large uh, shrub on top, that nine bark with that nice colored foliage, those white button flowers in uh, late spring, sort of that May-June kind of period, uh, and then you're going to get that nice exfoliating bark on top. So we often see Diablo, which is the classic kind of maroon burgundy um, foliage. She's going to have that three foot stalk. And then when they're grafted, they're going to grow an additional six feet tall and six feet wide. And sometimes on the standard when they're grafted too, even though the shrub will grow six by six, uh, I have found in some instances where they lose a foot. Uh, so you can see them where they're five by five to six by six uh, there. So when you're considering a grafted tree as well or a small um, standard tree, mm. note that they're, if they are grafted, the size of that shrub is going to start at the graft because the bud or the stem that has been grafted on is still genetically programmed to go up and out by its its same like feet. So the trunk isn't going to, if it's a three foot trunk and then the branches spray out, the three foot trunk isn't going to grow up, but it's mm -hmm. the shrub above that that is going to grow up. Mm -hmm. So the trunk will always thicken, but it'll always, the bottom of the standard tree will stay at that, you know, three, if you have a three foot trunk, it'll stay at three feet. And then the height and width will go up from there. Yeah, so if you have someone like, for example, uh, Amber Jubilee, we mentioned that uh, nine bark cultivar. She's going to grow five feet by four feet. But if she has a three foot stalk and then she's grafted from the graft point, she's going to go five tall and four wide. So ultimately, she will be eight tall and then four wide with her five plus eight. So that's where we're going to get some of that, that nice height uh, and then that room underneath as well. Mm -hmm. And that's a common question I often get in in the garden center. So I just wanted to throw uh, that out there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's a great point, actually. And have you found so you said that Diablo is available? Have you seen um, Nine Bark or, or sorry, Amber, Amber, Amber Wine or um, Summer Wine? Or, yeah, I've seen, yeah, Diablo, Amber Jubilee. Um, Amber Jubilee, I, that's the other one. I believe it was summer wine because, and I think that's the one because there was the smaller leafed uh, and smaller sized one grafted as well. Um, but I don't think, I'm pretty sure it hasn't been Little Devil uh, just yet. But I think it is okay. the, the summer wine and the, the tiny wine that okay. were grafted so far. Oh, oh, even tiny wine. That would be neat mm. because it's a bit, got a bit more of a compact. Right. It's nicer, just a nicer compact habit. Mm -hmm. for sure. Because I know Diablo, like one of the benefits of the shrub is it can get quite large arching stems um, with that. That would be the case too with the treat, with the standard. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so as we get to the bottom of our hour, before we go too far, time flies. I just wanted to stop and say thank you uh, to everyone who's joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing, uh, here with my co-host, the lovely Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. 
Don't forget to spend more time with us down the garden path. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at Down the Garden Path Podcast. And you can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And don't forget while you're there, please hit the subscribe button to be notified of new content. And don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from our guests where you're from and just saying, hey. So you can always write us here at InStudio 101. Uh, or you can reach us via our websites and you can find Joanne at www down the number two earth.ca. And you can find myself uh, at www.naturalaffinity.ca. So as we continue through our um, uh, months, just before we jump back in, I think we've got three listener questions. We do. We do. Uh, do you want me to read you the, the first one? Yeah, I yeah, can read sure. you the first one from have. Tate. Um, So hello there. Are rhododendrons and azaleas considered flowering trees? Great question, Tate. Yeah, great questions. They can get, and especially the rhododendrons, can get of a very, very large size. Uh, But we don't often, and more so in in like, I'm thinking as I'm picturing like BC and the UK. And not so much here in the GTA. We're US, think anybody who loves golf, right? Those weeds cannot grow them. Like you see the masters. Some people watch the masters for the golf and some people watch the masters for the rhododendrons (laughs) uh, or both. Um, But yeah, so they do not, you know, and I've had, I've actually had somebody in a, forums say that there is is you know eight feet tall and stuff i don't know i I, it's it's a rare thing maybe down in like some of those mature protected gardens in like the in uh in downtown toronto um i think in the sub subdivisions in like open air like with no protection and and stuff i don't know i think it would be hard so yeah um, they're not gonna get yeah so they're big here yeah so i would consider them more like flowering shrubs and that's exactly where i was yeah yeah, they're considered more Tate that they are uh, small to large flowering shrubs. And again, depending on where you are. I remember going mm-hmm. through BC and they're massive, they're towering in, in the woods and where they're protected and they're not open and where they can do their thing. But here in the urban space, yeah, you're going to see three by three to five by five if you can yeah. grow them that long or have the acidic soil and the protection, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they are, but they're... And I don't think they graft them either, as I interrupt you again. Correct, Sorry, yes. they don't graft them into flowers. So as much as they are flowering shrub, like some of those other ones, um, these ones are not grafted so far. That's right. I've never seen one staked or grafted into a tree. Yeah, they're just a nice broadleaf evergreen and a single or a multi-stem shrub. Yeah. So thank you for the the question, Tate. Excellent question. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, maybe something we will write down or make note of for next I know. Year's I know. Problem. We're like Ditsias <laughs> and Rhododendrons and Azaleas. I think we've got like two topics already. <laughs> that's it. You're writing next July, guys. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> uh, looks like we have another question from Mick. And uh, Mick is writing in, hello. I hear the word carnivorous plants all the time on gardening shows. Uh, but I really don't know what they mean by that word. Mm-hmm. Help. Uh, good question, Mick. Um, so carnivorous plants are plants. Uh, they're often epiphytic or, um, you know, they graft or hang onto other trees or they can be bound into some soil, uh, but they derive most of their nutrients from uh, devouring other insects or small animals in some cases uh, in very large uh you know, plantings in tropical areas where they have all that year-long round warmth. Uh, the most common that you'll probably find here are some sundews, 
Um, so they can be little basil rosettes of sticky leaves and fungus gnats and other flies will get stuck to the dew on the leaf and the dew breaks the, them down with their enzyme enzymes in the goo uh, into their basic elements and they get eaten up. Venus flytraps, you know, that classic Venus head that closes on them when they're triggered. Uh, the little hairs are triggered, it closes and the head dissolves and digests the fly. And then our pitcher plant that has fills with, grows up a little pitcher, uh, has a little lid on it that will close when triggered uh, and has some goo, sugary goo down below uh, that the flies or other insects will dissolve into. So yeah, uh, those are the ones you'll find, but they're basically eating other animals and um, usually more so the small to moderate size insects that mm -hmm. come in and enjoy. What's the little one? Uh, Venus flytraps, right? That ones you can have as like a little household house plant. You know, you could try one of those uh, where it would stay inside. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so that, uh, you know, um, that's kind of a cool little one. Kids love them too, often teachers. I know my mother-in-law is a kindergarten teacher. She would bring them into the classroom and for the kids to see. So, uh, so yeah, so that can be a really cool uh, little plant, right? That's right. Yes. That's right. Lots of moisture and light. They're fun. Yeah, yeah. And Joyce has written in. She's, she lives in Jackson, Wyoming, zones 4A and B. Are there any flowering trees that show their color all year round? Great question. Um, I don't know about all year. I think it's harder. I think hydrangea standards do have a long season, right? Um, and if Bobo is going to be successful, then that will, you know, bloom earlier and goes right to the fall. And then they, the, just like any other hydrangea, the leaves turn or the flower turns a coppery color and I leave them on all season. So it's kind of got some winter interest. Um, but, I, but I know that not necessarily color, um, but I can't think of anything else. Well, we you know? did mention like as far as the small flowering or trees today, um, you know, we've got our nine bark standards with the burgundies and, and things like that. Um, another flowering standard tree that we haven't quite talked about just yet uh, is our smoke bush. So you can get the smoke bush or the smoke tree grafted. Uh, it also has very round purple burgundy leaves. You can rarely you'll find the yellow or the green version uh, grafted, but it's also often the purple. Uh, and then another one that we'll and sorry, just for Joyce's information and other listeners, they're going to grow about nine feet by five feet ish when they're grafted. And then the other thing you'll find uh, is a classic one in the spring people often enjoy are the uh, purple leaf sand cherries. So that Prunus ex cystiana, uh, mm -hmm. white fragrant flowers early in the spring, usually growing about eight by eight or 10 by eight, depending on, on your conditions. But that's also another one that'll have those purples in all year mm -hmm. round. Mm -hmm. Yeah, watch. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, I, I get what we decided as far as evergreen standards. There are evergreen standards too, oh, yeah. like blue, blue, I uh, like blue spruce standard and nest yeah. spruce standards and juniper standards. Um, Joyce, that not, not necessarily flowering, but they definitely, especially the blue spruce standards, you know, gives that lovely blue color um, all winter, you know, all year round, right? And it's the same thing where it's grafted on a stalk. And so the tree doesn't necessarily get taller, but the head gets bigger and bigger. Um, the nest spruce or some of the weeping juniper ones, you know, not my bag personally, but, um, and even I've started to see some of the mops. I really like the mops, um, cypress, the chemiparis, um, you know, and they're grafted and they've got more of a yellow evergreen. So, you know, I think they're, again, they're like maybe three feet tall. So they're smaller. Um, some blue spruces can be a little bit bigger. 
Um, and it's and usually they're quite tight initially, and then the head gets bigger and bigger. So if you're looking for something that really has a presence all year round, um, then maybe an evergreen standard is uh, is a is a good option. But yeah, they're excellent choices. Yeah, lots of great color there too, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, just if you're interested in the Purple Leaf Sand Cherry Standard, uh, just be careful. They do sucker readily, uh, mm -hmm. even though uh, they are grafted and then they can be in perfect health. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah, we do to do a show that's of shows all the trees we don't recommend. <laughs> and that would be the top of my list. All the shrubs we don't recommend. Um, it's, you know, suckers, disease, like attracts everything, right? And yeah. uh, from block knot to, to aphids to you name it. Um, so yeah, so as much as you love that bur burgundy color, I don't know. So yeah. anyway, and they that's a whole other show, right, Matt? That's <laughs> a whole other show. Yeah, they tend to be short lived too. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and they never like, yeah, if you really look at them closely, I know people like them, like from a distance, oh, look, but it's burgundy. But I'm like, yeah, you get up close and look at it. Yeah, it's not really, you know, it's very thin and leaves are all chewed and there's black knot in the branch. Like it's really from up close, you know, from far away as you drive by. Yeah, but up close, not so much. Not so much. And so let's talk about Wajilias because that's something I don't understand why I haven't been using them as a standard. So tell me a little bit more. What varieties have you seen? Yeah, the Wajilias. Um, again, one of those, and I guess I didn't mention it for Joyce's thing either. Um, but I've seen two. The main two that I have seen uh, very often is Red Prince. Uh, okay. So she's the six by six green leaf with that nice reddish trumpet flower uh, in, in the spring. And uh, yeah, so I've seen that one on standard. That one's quite nice. A lot of people like it. Uh, again, just the, the neat, uh, you know, bold, semi-bold uh, texture of the foliage, but then those red trumpets that cover itself uh, in the spring. And mm -hmm. then I've also seen wine and roses. So mm -hmm. it's the, that five by four, five by five, uh, you know, darker leaf uh, from the wine series we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, on standard as well and she's got those darker pink uh, trumpet shaped or bell shaped flowers with the little lighter throat inside uh, but I've seen those two uh, quite often as well come through my garden center. Um, I don't often see too many of the other um, Wigilia standards though it's mainly those two it's kind of okay. like the purple option and the green option yeah, uh, yeah and then there's the pink with the red and the red. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, some of the other varieties like the Sonic Bloom that we talked about last week and things, I think they're just newer shrubs. So they haven't. So they may yes. be in production somewhere. And I'm sure, you know, the proven winter people or the or the ball nursery, you know, what I mean, the other nurseries and the growers are either experimenting or getting them going. Um, so it's just a matter of time whether they they actually work. So there's a lot of testing involved, too. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you don't think of as far as plants go, but, you know, they really do. And, oh, yeah. um, and I think zones as well, because it does mean that the graft um, and we, you know, we can talk for a second about like rose trees. You know, I'll get a lot of clients that say they want a rose tree, um, but really the graft, you know, in all of these means that the graft is, is you know, it's like the rootstock is now in the air. It's not in the ground. There's no winterizing yeah. it. It's now in the air. 
So the nurseries will put those lovely rose trees in a pot and put them out front of the nursery or right beside the cache. And you're like, oh, I want one of these. Well, they don't winter. You know, it's not about putting them in the garden because the graft is, you know, in the air. So unless you have a like large property where you can actually dig a trench and lay it down and bury it, you know, bury the graft for the winter, which, you know, that's very few people that can do that. Um, So, yeah, so that's something to think about with some of the some of them shrubs or plants that we think of grafted um they're just in our climate anyway they are not uh, hardy i'm sure there's other zones right where there are rose trees i'm sure texas can grow rose trees and oh yeah and different things like that <laughs> where if you don't have a winter um but anytime uh, anybody who has winter or, or seasonal changes um that can be a little bit more um challenging you got it you got it exactly um, we have a few more listener questions. Um, Joe has written in, hi, a friend of mine in Florida wants to give me a star magnolia tree mm-hmm. uh, to grow here in Toronto. A yes or no? And if yes, uh, how would I keep it alive? Ha, thanks. Um, yeah, not a grafted tree, but uh, definitely very large. Uh, you can see it as a single or a multi-stemmed shrub uh, form. But yeah, you can definitely... Uh, grow those guys here. Uh, They're hardy to zone 4A. They're usually growing about uh, 12 feet tall, 12 feet wide, um, full sun to partial shade. Uh, But yeah, they're pretty easy uh, to grow here as as well. Um, Mm. So yeah, you're just going to, Joe, just kind of plant it and treat it like another, uh, you know, larger shrub, watering it, babying it, kind of keeping it going and uh, giving it some space uh, to grow out. And they're otherwise usually fairly uh, carefree, just they can sometimes can get some scale and some sooty mold on them. Uh, but other than that, yeah, they're pretty easy to grow here up in the mm-hmm. GTA. Yeah, yeah, it is good to know that they're hardy. I'm curious to know how your friend from Florida is going to get it here over the border. Was, but we do, was, yeah. yeah, yeah. So even if he can't, um, you can purchase them here. They are yeah. readily available. So uh, we sell and them you know, yeah, small, medium, larger ones already established. Yeah, definitely uh, uh, available. So so that's good. So that is good. Um, and Bart has written in saying that someone had told them that certain flowering trees and ornamental grasses cannot be planted in direct sunlight. Is that true? And if one, if so, which ones before I plan? Thanks. Um, curious. Well, I mean, all ornamental grasses love for full sun. So let's just tick that one off, right? So for the most part, there are some shade ornamental grasses, um, like forest grass and some of the sedges and things like that, that are shade only, but anything tall, um, they actually require, you know, full sun. Yeah, lots of sun and lots of that nice warmth uh, Mm -hmm. to get that growth booming. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bart, just kind of taking a look like any other plant in any other part of the garden, um, you know, are they full sun? Are they full shade? And outside of that, none come to really mind that, I mean, even things like uh, like Japanese maples, even though they're partial shade creatures, they adapt very well to to the full sun. You might get a little bit of a leaf scorch or some weird adapting as they as they move into, but they will change over. Uh, but, you know, some of those need a little bit more protecting. But other than that, yeah, I mean, if you're going for something that lay, is clearly labeled full shade and you're trying to throw it out into the full sun, uh, that's definitely, uh, that's probably where you're going to run into the huger issues. And then the other only other thing that comes to mind is uh, some tropical, uh, large tropicals that you might have. If you have them growing inside, 
uh, in kind of a bright indirect light and you put them directly out into full sun, they will sunburn and they do need some mm-hmm. time to adapt over before they can take uh, that direct sunlight. Um, but other than that, yeah, as long as you know who likes what kind of sun, mm-hmm. um, you're, it's pretty pretty easy to go and there's lots of options uh, both ways usually yeah, yeah yeah and I think especially grafted trees too go by like if it's a you know wigilia that's grafted on a tree you know that's that's a flowering uh, standard that it's it's light conditions and needs are just because it's now grafted onto a small tree the light conditions are the same the watering conditions are the same the growth you know plus the growth is the same flowering time is the same you know taking into consideration the new trunk that's applied to it so yeah so those that kind of helps you go uh, figure out um, and so things like the weeping pea shrub you know is is more of a shade you know that's a shade one you know so then that grafted as a tree is also uh, for shade so yeah, yeah so there you go and thank you Barb for your question it ties into uh, Holly's question about uh ornamental grasses and they're asking do ornamental grasses spread easily or not and uh yes especially the the clump forming wide ones they will grow into their nice clump two to three or four feet wide just watch there are holly some invasive ones like the ribbon grass uh that will take over like mad into your lawn and craziness but yeah they're easy to grow and fatten up and after a number of years in your garden a few years in your garden you can divide them and move them around if you need to, but just watch out for some invasive ones, depending on where you are writing from. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they do take a year, you know, like when you first plant them and get them now, like even my favorite Carl Forster, you know, if it's just a one gallon plant, it does look a little like sad and it's small, but they, they do fill in. So, um, so really, you know, and, uh, um, just patience, you know, the next year is never, don't trim them back, just leave them. Um, and then the, the next year they kind of fill out and fill out uh, type of thing. And then when they get to the point where they're so wide that they start to, much like a hosta, they start to kind of die out in the center, then you know it's kind of a good time to dig them out and divide them and and split them. So, um, um, but there are, like you said, some really invasive ones where, you know, you have to be careful and you'll never get like ribbon grass. <laughs> some of the miscanthus I think can be pretty aggressive and they're hard yeah. to, you know, they might not be super fast, but they are hard to, you know, get rid of if you, if you no longer want it. So, so yeah, so great question, Holly. Thank you. Indeed. Yeah. What other, are there some other flowering shrubs that we would like to talk about as we wind down to the, I can't, the you know, after all these years, Matt, I still can't believe how quickly that hour, <laughs> go, this hour goes. <laughs> Me too. Me too. But yeah, there are a few other ones. Um, I mean, you talked on the um, weeping pea shrub. That's great for that partial to full shade. Um, you know, there's the the normal rounded leaf uh, pea shrub with the small round pieces of the leaflets. There's also the walkers weeping pea shrub. So it's got a nice fine feathery look to it. They're going to grow four to five feet tall and about four and a half to five feet wide. Uh, one of the ones uh, everyone loves, lilacs. Mm. Uh, oh, right? yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh so my we didn't gosh, even go we there. have to talk. I know we have to talk about <laughs> lilacs because there's lilac trees and then there's lilac standards. Um, Miss Kim is a like been popular for a while, right? The Miss yeah. Kim was kind of um dwarf Korean, much more rounded, smaller leaves than the common lilacs. Oh, yes, that's definitely a popular one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I've got Miss Kim uh, and the dwarf Korean lilac. Uh, you know, four to five feet tall and wide. We've got the new bloomerang period or series that we've got. 
Um, so, you know, we've, we've got those that are five by five and they're going to be those rebloomers uh, that come out in those waves and bubble up as through the season grows. Uh, there's also the French uh, hybrid standards. So we're seeing some of those, for example, Charles Jolie uh, as the shrub growing, you know, nine feet tall, six to eight feet wide. Uh, but we're seeing those also on a four to five foot stock to get kind of that medium sized tree uh, to give you a little bit of privacy with those purple uh, flowers. And then I've also seen, and I think personally, it's maybe a little bit more trained than it is grafted, but even just our common lilac or just our syringa vulgaris here just trained as a single stock and then put up as a as a uh, a larger tree or that mm -hmm. looks like it's grafted but uh be careful with those because those lilacs they like to be multi-stemmed clumps uh coming out of the ground in a single stock mm -hmm. uh, so that's where you'll get some suckers kind of moving around but yeah, yeah there's some great variety in the lilacs in your pinks and your purples your light pinks uh there's the dwarf bloomerangs again that are going to be the dark purple purple and pink they're only about three feet by three feet uh as the dwarf bloomerangs so yeah lilacs have a great am i missing something on our lilac topic <laughs> no i think that no i think that i can't believe we're almost at the end of the show i mean this is a big topic actually and we've still got oh, a few questions is. that we might not get to everybody um but we do want to cover those uh yeah, I mean, I think Katoni Aster, there's some, right? I've seen, yes. I think I've seen some Katoni Aster, some that are might be, um, you know, interesting shapes and not certainly showy like a hydrangea or a lilac, but kind of an interesting uh, shape. Uh, smokebush too, have we seen smokebush kind of come out as a standard? Yep, yeah, I've seen the, the smokebush come out. Um, yeah, just like the royal regal red. One. Yeah. Yep, just the yeah. classic. Yep. Um, yeah. There are some dwarf ginkgo uh, shrub mm. forms that have been mm -hmm. grafted recently, yeah. a little bit more or newer. Um, mm -hmm. Burning bush is also, as well as just the, uh, so burning bush has been yeah. grafted, uh, as well as <laughs> if you didn't know, burning bush is a euonymus. And so the, uh, both the burning bush, the deciduous type, as well as the uh, broadleaf evergreen type, usually the emerald gaiety or something like Cannadale gold uh, is mm -hmm. often grafted uh, as mm -hmm. that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and again, just to outline, you know, these are shrubs that these are ornamental trees. So some of the, I mean, to me, ornamental trees and flowering trees. Um, someone's just asked a question. Um, Spring has asked about that. So not all. I mean, I think flowering trees can be ornamental, but then there's some trees like a blue spruce or the the um, uh, burning bush as a as a grafted or interesting tree where it's ornamental, but not necessarily flowering. Um, so, you know, so that's kind of the distinction that I make of them in the sense that you're just getting something that's a unique shape that still lets you have um you know kind of gets you flower like even i think of fences right so if all your garden is low it's going to take a while for everything to get you know to kind of soften that fence but if you have a standard tree or, or or a couple of those or even if you've got cedars sometimes there's a cedars at the back and then like a flowering tree in front that kind of offers you a different um vantage point and a different interest point in the garden as far as ornamental so so mm. i think they're just very versatile versatile and and they're never going to be I mean especially with our smaller yards smaller front yards smaller gardens they're never going to be a massive tree they're not going to be the Kwanzaa cherry right. um, that we talked about earlier this uh, the, in the show or you know even smoke bush like a smoke bush tree a bush will could get quite big mine is probably 10 by 8 you know in my garden so 
there, you know, there's something that you can kind of control a little bit better and, uh, and, uh, and kind of have, you know, dots of interest. So I think that's why we wanted to, you know, introduce them to you and, and like all the shrubs that we talked about last month, let you know that you can have them in a little bit of a different form and, uh, and that they would work in, in small gardens and in small spaces, but they're never going to be, you know, 10, 12 foot trees, right? Hmm. That's right. That's right. So we hope you guys have learned lots of, uh, you know, about the small standard flowering trees and even the evergreens and non-flowering trees. Pam wrote in and said, hi, I was really looking forward uh, to this show topic tonight. Thanks for it. Very interesting. Pam from Windsor, Ontario. So thank you, Pam, for tuning in. And we hope that we've uh, maybe uh, named a few new ones that you might think of uh, adding to your garden. And thank you, everybody, for uh, some of the questions. Evan, we do see your question um, as we run down to the last couple minutes. Uh, stay tuned. We will write back your question, but we are also in two weeks. As we get to August 16th, we are going to talk all about flowering dogwood. So we're going to get mm. back to you, Evan, but definitely tune in for the 16th. We're talking about flowering dogwoods uh, because they are a great, diverse, uh, wonderful group of uh, large uh, flowering trees and shrubs. Don't forget to, to oh, go ahead. We're going to. No, I just saw your notes. I saw dappled willows. We didn't talk about yeah, dappled, dappled willows, another willow. great one that's, you know, kind of interesting. Its head could get quite big. Mm. Um, so yeah, so there's, there definitely are a few varieties and we'll probably touch on them again on next week's show, um, which will be a pre-recorded show because as we always like to remind you, if you're a longtime listener, uh, next Monday is August 9th and it's our birthday and it's, yes, it's weird. We're not related, but yes, we share a birthday. Oddly we enough, share birthday. Uh, we share a birthday, 13, <laughs> 13 years apart. It's a big birthday for Matt. And uh, so we will not be doing a live show, uh, but we will, we still want to you to have something to tune into next week. Uh, so we will uh, right? Gary's going to have us uh, for you here on reality radio. Yes, we will. So we'll sure have you... something special for them. That's right. That's right. So we will have it. We'll cover, you know, it's going to be, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of stuff um, so that you can have a listen on the ninth. And then like Matt said, we're, I'm excited to talk about um, flowering dog woods because there's a place for every one in everybody's yard oh, i think so beautiful i know they are beautiful and they're native and uh the birds love them and uh yeah so uh so yeah so I, i'm excited to do a deep dive and educate everybody about flowering dogwoods right that's right just one quick note before we sign off mm -hmm. um you know if you have questions that you'd like us to uh look uh, at next week for our pre-record it's our happy birthday question and answer uh, kind of all about trees or other things. Don't forget, you can write us here at instudio101 at gmail.com. Gary will get that for us. But don't forget to write us directly. You can find all of our social media and our emails on our website. You can find Joanne at downthenumber2earth.ca. And you can find myself at naturalaffinity.ca. And I think that uh, wraps up the show as we get the hook. Yeah, we do get, well, Down the Garden Path podcast is at, where it's our, at Hotmail, right? So that's another one. Yeah, or there as well. Yeah, yeah, as well as Instagram. So we'd love for you to follow us on Instagram, uh, Down the Garden Path podcast on Instagram. Please follow us there and uh, feel free to post a question that we would love to cover uh, next week. And uh, and any show topics you'd love to, you know, for us to cover that we love to hear from you. 
So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Lindsay Ontario, for listening to us on the patio. Um, we, uh, we really enjoy it. And uh, for joining us here down the garden path on Reality Radio 101. Listening to Down the Garden Path with your host Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.